0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of James Talks. Really great to have you all here today. Really, I'm um, delighted to, to welcome another guest today. Um, a friend of mine, a, a writer, a speaker, um, great guy with a great story. Um, his name is Matt Ham. Uh, welcome, Matt. It's great to have you here.
1: Hey James, how's it going man? I tell you what, I'm so excited about this interview because we've got your British accent merging with my like southern accent to create some kind of awesome that I don't think people are ready for.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right, yeah, complete contrast isn't it? I
1: love Um, it, I think it's going to be fun man, I can't wait to share it out with some of my friends over here and uh, yeah man, I'm looking forward to it, thanks for having me.
0: That's great, oh fantastic, yeah, we've been, um, just for the benefit of the listeners, we've been, um, Matt and I have been friends for almost a year now. Yeah. Um, we, did a, we did a writing course together, we were in a writers group together, and we um, we used to chat with each other and a few other guys, um, and we've been encouraging and supporting each other for a while, so
1: and he's... Yeah, so cool to connect, man, and uh, yeah. it's just awesome to see kind of how that story unfolds, you know?
0: Yeah, so, Matt, just tell us a bit about yourself and your, your story and your background.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I, I think, James, the, the key is is to always understand who you are becoming. And, uh, you know, know that that's never a place that you arrive at. But know that's not also, it's not what you do either. I think for the longest time I defined myself by the things that I did. And and what I'm learning is what we do is not who we are. Who we are Mm -hmm. is very different. And we can't find our identity in the things that we do. It's very exhausting to live that way. And, you know, I'm, I'm working on a second book project with this idea that, you know, I have small children, you know, I have three small boys and a, and a new brand new daughter, four kids under the age of five. And my boys primarily, they taught me this, you know, they love to dress up, right? Like superheroes, you know, mm-hmm. there's there's Batman or Spider-Man, Iron Man, whatever you, you might have it. And my boys love to dress up. Is a way to kind of play pretend. And if you think about it, it's interesting. When you look at the superhero movies and comic books, superheroes dress up like average people mm. as a way to kind of hide their true identity, mm. right? So Superman's yeah. Clark Kent, you know, Batman is is Bruce Wayne, you get it. And, and yeah. the reality is, is that we, as kind of average human beings, at least we think that, we try to dress up like superheroes. You know, we try to have these monster egos, these monster identities, and we try to be somebody that, quite frankly, we're not. And and I think that, you know, my heart has been really inclined towards helping people live more authentically, you know, helping them to yeah. kind of discover their identity. And, and part of that is the story of kind of how I've learned to do that. So, um, you know, man, I, I was, I'm a Just a normal, I would say normal guy. I mean, I raised four kids here in the States and grew up in the South on the East Coast of the United States. Wilmington, North Carolina, right against the Atlantic Ocean and and love life here. I I grew up here and and always was very active. I, I played sports growing up, baseball, basketball uh, American football. And, and it was a lot of fun. And, and that was really kind of how I defined myself. Right. I was like the athlete, you know, mm-hmm. kind of what, what we refer to as maybe that all American kind of guy, you know, yep. just was a, a good kid and played sports, did good in school, you know, kind of check the box, obey the rules and that kind of thing. And then, you know, the, the American kind of culture says, all right, well, you got to graduate from school, go to college, get good grades, get a job. You know, make good money, save money, retire and and be wealthy and successful. And that's kind of this, this mantra that we very subtly speak kind of in our culture. And I started to understand that maybe that's not the way my life was supposed to go because I I tried that path and I made a lot of money, but in the process, I was kind of personally miserable. You know, I was in real estate sales in South Mm -hmm. Florida and in the early two thousands and kind of watch the real estate bubble crash in my life with it. And, and in that, I started to see that money and, and, and fame or popularity and all that stuff doesn't provide a foundation for us to stand on that. It's, Hmm. it's, it, it, it will, it will wash away with each, you know, wave kind of in the tide. And so I, I really began a journey in my own life to, to press into that deeper place. And it's a very spiritual place for me. I'm a a Christian, and and I believe the Bible was was my key uh, catalyst in my life to really read the Bible, prayer, and and asking God to kind of help me understand who I was. And so I started to, to, in my own life, realize that this idea of wealth and richness and and all those things paled in comparison to who God had created me to be. And and that was a really transformational thing. I, I wrote about that in my first book, Redefine Rich, and you know, as I've I've come to now publish the book and, and be engaged in community with people, you know, who I'm kind of walking along with. Mm. I'm starting to see that there's some real power in this because so many people don't realize it, but their identities are caught up in in what they do. And we make to-do lists in our life, right, to check that box. Mm. We want to do this and do this and do this. But we don't think a lot of times about making a to-be list about the things that Mm. we want to be. And so that's really kind of my heart now is trying to become something. You know that I was created to be i believe and and get into that place and learn what that looks like, not only as a father, not only as a husband not only as a as a as a as a believer as a Christian, right as a son of of God and not only as a as a writer, a speaker, and also like all the different things in my life that that could define me, understand that all that works together to to make me who I am those things don 't individually define me um, it 's more about who i 'm becoming so yeah man that 's kind of the a snippet story of, of what i have been up to here these last few years, and it 's been uh, it 's been a fun journey
0: wow that's awesome. Well, I totally agree with you about identity i mean that's that's actually something i 'm writing about at the moment in the book. The book i 'm writing at the moment is about you know about who we are is not what we do it's it's, yeah. it's about who we 're becoming it 's about mm-hmm. the kind of person that we are um, that's more important because that affects everything else and you know if we put our security and identity in what we do then we're going to end up falling apart you know and it seems like your life has a bit has been an example of that as well actually kind of
1: well and, i think i think the problem with it is james is that we end up chasing something that's not really attainable um you know we think that when we get to a certain point then we will have arrived right yeah We'll find our identity when we make more money or when we become a best-selling author or when we get married or when we have kids or when, you know what I mean, we become debt-free. And all of these things in our life become this invisible carrot that we're chasing. And what we don't realize is we become lost in that pursuit. And in the, in the midst of that pursuit, kind of lose who we are. And, you know, it's interesting because when you really look at the Bible— which, you know, I'm, I'm continuing to kind of learn and, and study this, but there are countless examples of kind of when people and their own energy and effort, right, when they were trying and striving and working, that their efforts were kind of in vain. But when they truly rested and trusted God, that God would show up in really powerful ways. You know, you think about uh, Moses, right, in the, in the Old Testament when he was against the Red Sea. His words were, be still and God will fight for you. And I think a lot of times that kind of, you know, that whole conversation about faith and God, it seems a little bit spooky and people don't understand it. And so they can't, they can't fathom it. They can't understand it. So they kind of write it off. But what I'm learning is that when you choose to live that way, you know, you really watch him show up in profound ways. And I've got countless, countless, you know, uh, examples in my life of when this is, has happened over and over and over again. And it's just really, really powerful to see that because you realize in that moment, not only is God real, right, but he's also there in a personal mm. way. Yeah. And that's been really transformational.
0: So what was the most powerful example of that in your life?
1: Oh man. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I, there's so many I'm trying to think of the most, um, Probably, probably this, James. So uh, my, my journey, right. As a, as an author, as a writer uh, began in in the summer of 2013. And it was really strange because, you know, I was running a successful uh, business here in the States as, as an insurance agent and raising three kids, building my dream home, kind of like down that path. And I felt this, this nudge, this whisper, this kind of annoying reoccurrence, you know, and, yeah. and I relate it to like, you know, we have these gnats or these mosquitoes or bugs that kind of buzz around our head and we want to swat at them. It was yeah. like that. It just, it wouldn't go away. And it was this constant pressure, not, not in a, in a bad way, not, not like pressure, like weight, stressful, heavy, yeah. more like a pressing against my, my spirit that I was supposed to speak. And I'm like, what in the world would I say? You know what I mean? Like, I don't have a story. I don't have anything to tell. And, and I met with a good friend of mine who was a professional speaker. I mean, he speaks nationally. And, and the crazy thing was, is he told me to begin writing as a way to find my story. And when mm. I began writing, the very first day that I wrote, I remembered a story from like seven years prior. And it was when my aunt, whom I love very dearly, was dying from cancer. And, and I had an exchange with my aunt and her nurse In my aunt's hospital room the night before she died that I remembered in that place. And it really began to revolutionize the way I saw my life. And, and it's a story kind of, kind of unfolded in my own life. You know, I'm 25 and kind of chasing that American dream. And, and my aunt, whom I love very dearly was, was stricken with non Hodgkin's lymphoma and she was dying of cancer. Mm -hmm. And I was in her hospital room the night before she passed. And I remember walking up to her bedside and holding her hand and there was nobody else in the room. It's just her and I, we were sharing a real special time together and a nurse stepped in to help my aunt get comfortable. And you see my aunt's lungs were filling with fluid. Like her body was being consumed and she was, she was dying. She was suffocating. And this nurse kind of propped my aunt up, which allowed my aunt to grab a breath. And my aunt looks at her nurse and she said, you make my life easy. And, and without hesitation, that nurse looked back at my aunt and said, you make my life rich. And, and those words kind of sent a ripple effect through my, my spirit, like in the very depths of me, you make my life rich because I was trying to define what my life was about through the lens of richness from a monetary standpoint, from a cultural standpoint with wealth and success and all those words, trying to find my identity in that. But what that nurse was saying is that there's a deeper place of richness, you know, and so. I began writing my book based off of that story to kind of uncover what my my aunt and her nurse said. You know, you make my life rich. Well, I get done with the book, James, and I feel like I've got this story kind of wrapped up. And, and yet I didn't feel confident in the ending. And in that place, in the summer of 2014, as I was wrestling with an ending for my book, I actually got a word from my doctor that I had been diagnosed with spreading malignant melanoma. An aggressive form of skin cancer, and it was spreading and threatened to kind of encroach upon my lymph nodes, my lymphatic system, and spread throughout my body. And 32 years old, healthy as could be, and I get a cancer diagnosis like that. And, you know, it was one of those moments where you have to stare at your own mortality and say, okay, the stuff that you've heard, the stuff that you've experienced, you know, is it real? Do you say it tongue in cheek? Do you say it, you know, because you're supposed to. Or do you truly believe it in your, in your heart, in the depths of you? And in that place, you know, I, I knew I'd been writing about living a rich life, but now I actually had to live one in the midst of a cancer diagnosis. Yeah. And, and fortunately, I learned through that process that, that God did not need to use me. But if I was willing to be humble enough, that he would choose to use me. And and it, and it took that understanding of what humility is all about, right? That, you know, that God loves us deeply and dearly, but he wants us to let him hold that primary position, you know, in our hearts and in our lives and not just tongue in cheek, but truly live that way as a follower. Right. And so for me, as I'm writing about my aunt's cancer, You know, death from cancer and diagnosis. I get diagnosed with cancer. And it was just a great correlation when you really open yourself up. God said, listen, I'm going to take you to the edge of the cliff and I'm going to let you look over the edge. And and yet I'm going to redeem you because I'm now cancer free. And in that place, you you get great promise, you know, that, that he wants to use us if we will be willing to let it not be all about ourselves. And so that that's probably the most powerful example in my life where I felt like God was truly working in me. Um, you know, because I think for the longest time, James, I wanted God to work through me. Like God work through me to do this or work through me to do that and make me a great speaker, make me a great author, make me a great whatever. Yeah. And, and he said, you know, Matt, I want to work in you first, that the greatest work that I could possibly do is in you. And if, if I can work in you, then I can work through you. And so um, that's, that, that, that really is probably what taught me that.
0: Wow, that's powerful. That's so, so powerful. That, that I always find it fascinating. Pretty much all the interviews that I've done, all the interesting stories that I've heard, and I've heard a few now, um, there's always something that happens. when There's always a catalyst for yeah. tran- for transformation in somebody's life, it's always um, well. I lost all my money in a business, or yeah. um, I got really ill, or um, I got a, I got an addiction, and I you know couldn't deal with it, and I crashed. You yeah. know, just basically something. Basically, everything goes wrong, mm-hmm. and suddenly you're kind of left with like, who am I, and what am I going to do? I've just got to confront the truth of the the truth of the truth of my life and the truth of who I am Mm. at this at this moment I can't you know I can't ignore it anymore because what we like to do is we like to and I talked about this with somebody else recently that you have that we like to cover over the truth you know and go into a comfort zone and we can even do that with our we can even do that with our faith and with church as well you know instead of confronting the truth and allowing ourselves to be transformed we we just try and run away from it and that's not healthy, and because uh, the only way to grow is to confront the truth.
1: Yeah, and it, and and again, at some point in time, you have to ask yourself: Okay, if, in a faith conversation, you know, what do I believe about this? Right? You know, it's 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 the greatest question I think we can ask ourselves. Because if if the things that the Bible holds, if if what Jesus said is true, it changes everything. Mm. It changes everything, and and if it's not, you know then so be it, right? But if it's true, it changes everything. And so wrestling with that truth in the face of growing mortality was one of those transformational places for me that has really drawn me back into that. And you mentioned something about rock bottom, you know, people kind of, whether it's an addiction or whether it's losing, that there's always a catalyst, as you said. The reality is, is that those catalysts are usually the very things that we're trying to define our lives by. Mm. And we're trying to define our life by relationship. Or we're trying to define our life by acceptance or approval or, or mm. income or whatever. And a lot of times I heard a, a pastor that I interviewed one time say this, is that God wounds us in the very place that he wants to use us. And that seems like a, a kind of an evil thought, you know, like God's some puppet master. And I, and I don't think it, it's intended to mean that he... You know what I mean? Like intentionally wants to wound us. But he understands that the process of growth and purification only happens through adversity. And so he wants to purify us because he wants us, you know, what he has for us is greater than we could ever imagine. But we have to go through that process of purification in order for that to happen. And you see that true of every hero of faith in the Bible. You know, um, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, I mean, he was was Saul. He hated Christians. He hated Jesus. He didn't believe. And he had an encounter. And after that encounter, he said, what am I going to believe to be the truth? And as he stared down the truth, as he faced the truth, he went through an incredible amount of persecution. But in turn... He became one of the most prolific, the the most prolific author in the history of the world. You look at it. I mean, his his 13 letters that that comprise the New Testament, you know, is the most prolific literature that our world has ever seen. And so, you know, it's just interesting to think about that. And so we we look at adversity, we look at challenges and brokenness and that type of conversation with a lot of a lot of fear
0: Mm. and a
1: lot of anxiety. And, And yet I think it's in those very places that God can do his greatest work. If we allow him to, but a lot of times we put on the facade, pretend to be okay. And we don't let him into those places. And we kind of walk around on broken legs, you know, and sometimes we just, we have to completely fall, you know, flat in order to understand that that's what he wants to do is lift us back up.
0: And that's right. And that's about being vulnerable. It's about um, allowing ourselves to um, be exposed, you know, to, yeah. um, and that's the birthplace. And the great thing about that is the great, is that vulnerability is the birthplace of creativity. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's where we can start to imagine new tomorrows and start to, you know, take risks without fear because, you know, the, the worst thing that, that could have happened already has, kind of. And, you know, so once, once we've already been through all that, there's nothing to fear, you know. Um, yeah. And we can step out in faith and, and take risks and live the life that we were meant to live.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I actually co-host a radio show here in the States with uh, an author and good friend It's my co-host, Kevin Adams. And Kevin and I talk about on the show all the time this concept of fear. Kevin brought it up the other day. I thought it was pretty profound, and I want to give him credit for it. But he said that there's a difference between fear and fright. And and think of it this way, if you're if you're running through the woods, going through a jog, you know, for a jog through the woods, and you see a bear, okay? Like you're frightened and and you're going to respond a certain way. And that fright is not a bad thing. Like God gave us fright as a way for, you know, to protect Mm -hmm. ourselves and to kind of be aware and that type of stuff. But God did not give us fear. And here's the difference. Fear is running through the woods, worrying about seeing a bear. And I think a lot of times that we, we go through our lives with this fear of things that, quite frankly, haven't happened you know, and, and probably yeah. won't happen. And we, we create this kind of picture in our mind of, of what we are afraid of, but God didn't give us a spirit of fear. You know, it says in the New Testament that he gave us a spirit of power, a spirit of love and a spirit of self-control. And we have to choose power, love, and self-control over fear all the time. If we make decisions based on fear, we can almost be guaranteed that it's not lining up with what God would have for our life. And so if we're if we're, running our lives based on this concept of fear then quite frankly i don't think we're running our lives the way god would have us to learn to run them and so we have to really challenge ourselves and ask those deep questions
0: yeah fear versus fright i've never heard it heard it put that way but that that's right i mean i've heard other authors talk about healthy fear you know as in this kind of fear you're talking about as in you know um are, you know there's yeah, there's a bear. I need to be careful. Um, yeah. Or I need to be careful when I'm crossing the road or I need to make sure that I don't drown when I'm swimming, you know, that kind of thing. Right. But that's actually fright. It's not fear, is it? It's, yeah, that's what, that's it's, what Kevin it's says. Very, it's not fear. Yeah, it's, that's, that's really insightful.
1: Yeah, it was pretty powerful. When he told me, I was like, man, I am, like, that spoke to me so, you know, so deeply because you can understand that difference, you know, if you see a snake right, for me I hate snakes, like snakes are like, yeah, I can't stand snakes if I see a snake, like you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cautious, right? <clears throat> mm. um, I'm hesitant, um, you know, and, and discerning, I guess. You know, here, here's another thing, too, is this kind of parlayed into this conversation is there's a difference between caution and discernment. Like the Bible talks about discernment being important, you know, that we mm. need to have discernment in our lives. But discernment is always led by wisdom, whereas caution, caution is always led by fear. You know, we're cautious because we're afraid. You know what I mean? Usually it's fear that drives caution and caution can be paralyzing. But it's it's wisdom that that guides discernment. So there's a difference there. You know, we need to be wise and say, you know what, a snake can be poisonous. That can be dangerous, right? Um, and and <laughs> yeah. that is causes discernment. But you know, we don't need to be walking through our backyard or, or refuse to go in our backyard or a walk in the woods or whatever because we're afraid. You know that that there's going to be a snake that's going to bite us or whatever. You know, so there's just a and it's a very subtle thing, James. That's what I'm learning. You know, one of my favorite authors is one of your fellow statesman there goes c.s lewis
0: oh Um, yeah i love c.s lewis
1: yeah just just so profound and and just you know i have i've learned like you know from him in his writing that the the christian life is is not you know it's not always this overt hard right or hard left you know there's it's just these Mm -hmm. subtle areas right he said it this the I think he, the way he wrote it is something like the the safest road to hell is is the slippery slope, right? And it's and it's and it's yeah. very subtle. It's very gentle, and and it's not sudden. And I think that's what we need to pay attention to in our lives before we become consumed by that stuff.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, oh, I love C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, is fantastic. I mean,
1: oh, good stuff.
0: I think most people know who C.S. Lewis is, but um, yeah, it, um, I mean. And I don't just mean the Narnia books, but I mean, stuff like Mere, like Mere Christianity is just like, just unbelievable, but, um, it is, I mean,
1: it's, it's one of the most profound, actually, I would say this, The <clears throat> my favorite Lewis books, uh, Mere Christianity, but the Screwtape Letters oh, yeah. is one, is one of those books that like people, some people just can't read it, um, because it's, it's such a deeper level of subtlety, you know, in our walk. And then, um. The Great Divorce is a beautiful book, too, and and it's talking about this this difference between heaven and hell. And it's just it's really profound stuff that he kind of paints a picture of such just dramatic imagery that it brings the whole concept to life. It's it's really, really profound.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, Yeah, so... Okay, so... um, I and mean, knowing your work, one of the things you're really passionate about is uh, the power of story. And right. So just kind of, what do, you, I mean, what do you believe is the kind of the big power of story, both in hearing us hearing stories and our lives as stories?
1: Yeah, so, you know, the thing is, is that for the longest time, I believed my story didn't matter, whatever story that was. And not only does it matter, it matters tremendously for eternity. Um, you know, we, we all have the ability to influence and impact that eternal perspective when we choose to place ourselves in that eternal perspective. And, and, you know, again, it's always story that has really taught me the, the, the most impactful things in my life. I mean, I think that's why Jesus, if you look about it, he talked and taught in narrative, you know, they called them parables, but, I mean, here's here's a guy 2,000 years ago telling stories that have application in the modern day. I mean, it's crazy, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because there, there's a timelessness to story because it unites us with eternity, right? And so wow, yeah. that's... That's the thing is that, you know, a great story, it it has a way of kind of drawing us back into that place, you know, where we were created and and we were created in God's image. And God was a storyteller, you know, and that's the thing is that I think it draws us back into that place. And we start to understand these reflections of, of the divine and the reflections of God on our hearts and in our lives. And we see that through story. And so that's why I just encourage people that, you know, that their life is a story, but it's not the story. I think the tension there is that that brash arrogance tends to come out and you think that your story is the only story that matters. Um, but the the reality is, is that all of us are simply part of a greater story And, and we have to tell our story and live our stories in such a way that, that, have an impact on the book right the greater book mm-hmm. if you're thinking that metaphor along yeah but yeah, yeah. but you know we can't we can't hide but at the same time it's like we can't take over the narrative as well <laughs> and i think there's yeah, a tension yeah. within the human you know the human Uh, makeup that that's that's what we try to do sometimes and it can become it can become dangerous so but no i love i love stories i love great stories and stories are are a way to to connect with people across generations across cultures because i think they connect us to eternity
0: yeah that's really powerful that's that's very very true i mean yeah if you think about it the stories that are written down um even you know in scripture and that's what two thousand years old yeah you know i mean the even if you 're not a christian you know i mean the story of the forgiving Father or the prodigal son as it gets called yeah i mean that just that story you don 't have to be a Christian to know the power of that story it 's just it 's just such a powerful story about forgiveness and reconciliation and um overcoming our our weaknesses and brokenness and that kind of thing and there 's just certain, we can we can each and each of us can resonate with at least one at least Two of the characters, I think, because we can all resonate with our, well, both of the sons, I think, at some point. I And I've resonated with the older son and the younger son in that story at some, you know, at, um, at one point or another. Um, well, I'll, tell could... you,
1: I'll tell you what, not, and not to cut you off there, but I, I, I have a pretty – something I want to share about that. And I, and I learned this from a fantastic book um, oh. by Henry Nowen. Um, oh, yeah, called... yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know Henry Nowen?
0: Yes, I've heard him, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, so he wrote a, oh my gosh, you got to read this, James, and the listeners got to read this as well. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son, yeah. and and there was a painting called The Return of the Prodigal Son, uh, and it was in St. Petersburg in Russia, I believe, and, and Henry Nowen saw this painting, and it was so moving to him that he went and studied it for years, And and he actually says that we relate to the prodigal, but we relate to the elder brother, Mm. but we all have a heart that, that longs to be the father, that deep Mm. down in our very core, we want to be the father and, 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 and have that, that rejoicing spirit of forgiveness, that, that, that that deep love for his, for both sons. Yeah, and 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 so he he relates it in his own life to this journey that he went through uh, of being a prodigal at times and being the elder brother at times. It's one of the most beautiful books that I've ever read, um, and I would highly recommend you know I've, folks check that out.
0: I think I've heard of that book, and um, it
1: is beautiful.
0: And I've heard of, I've certainly heard of Henry before, and um, yeah. he's a yeah great writer. So uh, you check. We'll all check that out, I think that's um, and again that, i mean that's just that 's just a testament to the power of that story, you know oh, um, gosh, yeah. and how it's just lasted, resonated through you know thousands of years, and that 's what story does. I always think that it's easier to remember a story than it is to you know somebody does a talk and they just list a number of facts or a number of points or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, people are much less likely to remember that than if somebody tells them a story, maybe with the same kind of principles and ideas outlined in the story you know mm-hmm. because people remember stories because our lives are like stories and um,
1: and they can attach to it
0: yeah exactly you can you can empathise you can resonate with characters in a story you know um,
1: that's true Donald, Donald Miller you know, uh, Donald Miller talks a lot about that, power our story, yeah, I, oh, yeah. story brand, storyline, and how if you look at every major narrative, there's there's similar characters across the, you know, the ages. And, and I think it's, it's, it's awesome. So, it's uh, and I love the concept of story, but I think the big thing for me is that I want everybody to know and understand and believe that their story matters. Like even the broken, ugly parts of it, they matter. That God's always working in our stories to bring about his purposes but we have to get to that place where we're really quiet, you know, we let go and uh, and let him speak to us. And that's hard to do, you know, it's very hard to do, but at the same time, it's incredibly powerful.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. Thank you for that. That's um... So um, just tell us a bit about what you're doing now, uh, what your life looks like kind of now. Because um, obviously you've had the book um, Redefining Riches come out, and now you're doing yeah. You're doing a a radio show and you're doing um, some speaking and other stuff. Is that right? And you've got another book you're working on.
1: Yeah, I do. So, you know, again, I I began writing almost three years ago now at my site you know madham.com and you know grew that into a podcast and grew that into um, you know some different uh, what I call community you know I I think the terms coaching and all that kind of stuff get a little bit tossed around but I mean I have a great community of people we have like a monthly you know call that we do and just trying to kind of cultivate relationships and and build up that that idea of of community and story and, and sharing that and it's been been a lot of fun and have launched the radio show sense uh, with my, like I said, my partner and, and co-host Kevin Adams. And uh, we've got some things we're working on that are really exciting. Uh, and I can't get into that yet because we're not live with it, but it's coming down the pipe. And and um, and I've actually just recently done some stuff, James, where <clears throat> a couple of years or actually uh, the end of last year. I kind of had this revelation in my own life that I felt. Like God was calling me to be a pastor, and that that really was a challenging thing because culturally that word means that you kind of you know have a congregation and you're like a you know minister you know. But if you look at the word pastor, you know it it, it really comes from the Latin phrase that means shepherd. You know, it's it's somebody yeah. who shepherds, and you know this idea in the Bible exists of sheep and shepherds and, and and whatnot. But shepherd's primary purpose is to protect their sheep and to lead those sheep to greener grass. You know. To to kind of feed on, and I started to see this correlation. Like in my life, I wanted to fight alongside people to fend off wolves or danger or whatever it might be, and to to help lead people towards green grass to graze upon, like the very sustenance of their life. And and so I I kind of stepped into that. That was scary as all get out because, like I said, I'm a business person. You know, I'm a I'm a sales guy and I'm a speaker and all that. And 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 this this idea of pastor was very different for me, very challenging. But what I've learned. Is is when you step into that place, who God's called you to be, that identity place. He, he will absolutely confirm it in very powerful ways. And so, I, I released a, a devotional series that was kind of walking people through this, mm-hmm. and you know had had all kinds of people would jump on board for this, you know, and so it's led me to, to want to be able to continue to provide this stuff for folks as a way to share it with them, to walk through this, and so, you know, I've, I've started doing these monthly devotional series uh, where I'm walking through folks, kind of a seven-day series, and we we venture into some some devotionals, some journal prompts, and some, some Bible reading, and some teaching videos, and it's been a lot of fun connecting with so many different people from all walks of life who really want to kind of dive into this stuff on. Their own and 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 start to discover their purpose, their identity as God would have them discover it. And so, that's been uh, you know been cool as of late, and kind of moving that into uh, you know what what uh, what's on the horizon. Um, I actually have a second book proposal put together, and that's uh, based around this concept of what I mentioned earlier of we put on these different capes to try to pretend to be something we're not, based off of what the world expects of us, um, and and yet. We need to take those capes off and, and start to begin living authentically. So it sounds like, James, we're on kind of similar journeys with that, you know, uh, that concept of identity. And that's very cool.
0: Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah. Um, and I'm a great believer in collaboration. And, you know, um, it's one thing I've been learning about in the last few months is, you know, um, creativity is never a solo project. It's always a collaboration. You always, um, you know, when you write a book, it's always, there's always people who design it. There's always an editor. There's always people who publish it, print it. You know, there's loads of people that make it happen, and yeah. and there's people who contribute. But there's also people who contribute to the stories that you tell. You know, even the stories about your own life. There's other people that were involved in those stories. So, you know, any cl- creative project is always a collaboration. And you know, I mean, I know a lot of there's a lot of authors out there who um, treat it like a competition, and yeah. they, they don't share their wisdom because they don't want people to because they see other people as competitors. Instead of seeing it as like, we're all in this together and we're all, you know, sure. and actually what matters, what really matters is the message and getting the message out there and sharing out what's important with people. And um, we can do that really well together. And um, so, yeah, it's really cool that we're, we're kind of on the, both on that track because um, it means that that message is going gonna, is gonna to get out there to, to more people, which is really good.
1: Well the rea- reality is if you have a heart for shepherding people, you want to support anybody that shepherds people right yeah. it's not it's, and that 's the problem is, is what happens is is that 's that fine line where your own desires start to trump what God has called you to do if he 's called you to shepherd people, you have to have faith that he 's going to confirm the people that he wants you to shepherd you know and and that doesn 't mean you shepherd everybody it 's not like you 're the only shepherd you know. And and so we, we search for it, you know, in and, and, and many, many ways. And we have to return to that place and understand that he is, uh, you know, the father, right? And he mm. wants us to return to him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, then, and again, it goes back to where you ground your identity and where that comes from. Because, you know, um, because that, all that competitive stuff generally comes out of fear and comes out of, you know, making success and money and all that kind of thing you're idle um sure whereas if you're grounded in grace and i'm enough um yeah. then you're not afraid and um, well
1: and, and kind of to reference back you know henry now and i talked about that, that the story of the prodigal son you know there's a great quote that now and shares in the book and i wanted to just kind of read it because it ties into this he said the farther i run away from the place where god dwells the less i am able to hear the voice that calls me the beloved and the less I hear that voice, the more entangled I become in the manipulations and power games of the world. And he's, and he's talking about the son, the prodigal son in that place, you know, the further the son runs away from the father, the less he's able to hear the voice that says, you are my beloved. And, and when you, begin to hear that voice less and less, you become more entangled in manipulations of the world. And and that's just a beautiful thing, right? That, that that's the concept of that story is that there is a father who loves us. And the more we draw ourselves away from him, the more we're going to get entangled in a world, you know, that, that threatens to consume us. And we have to return to that place where we are his son and he calls us his beloved. And so I, I love that concept and I really would encourage people to press into it in their own lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, said, um, I said to some friends last night that, yeah, you know, the truth is we become more like the people that we spend the most time with. and
1: Yeah.
0: And it only, I don't know why it only struck me last night, but it kind of struck me as I said it. it was like, if we spend more time with God or with Jesus, yes. we're going to become more like him.
1: Right.
0: You know, because that's what happens when you spend time with people is you become more like them. Yeah. Um, so, and that's, what we, and that's what we need to do. You
1: know. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Cool, man. You know. and, and and it's available. You know what I mean? That's what I think people need to know is that it's not some obscure, you know, far off thing like it's tangible and it's available. And that's the whole promise of, of kind of this Easter season. I mean, we're recording this, you know, with Easter coming up. I don't know when you release it. But the idea of the empty tomb is that, you know, he's available, right? Mm. You know, he's not he's not enshrined in death. I mean, he's free. And, and in him, we find life and that that life is the light of men. And that's just, I mean, it's just the promise. When you start to see that whole story unfold, it's just incredibly powerful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Wow. This has been brilliant. Um, so much wisdom. Um, okay. So just to, to finish, like if there's, like when you, you know, reflecting back on your own story, um, Mm -hmm. what's one major lesson that you've learned that you'd like to pass on to those, Maybe they are struggling right now, struggling for hope, struggling to find their identity, um, struggling to find that that rich life that yeah you know, that you talk about.
1: Yeah, um, you know the thing the thing that I would want to tell someone is that it, it's available to them. Um, not only is it available, it's real and it's accessible. Um, it's tangible; you can pick it up and you can touch it. You can smell it. You can taste it. Just today, James, I spoke to a group of about 150 folks as part of a, a luncheon, business luncheon here in town. Mm. And, you know, I don't get a chance to speak in my hometown as much. I travel and speak. But I spoke in my hometown today. And, and I didn't tell this story today. But one of the stories that was a defining moment in my life was my grandfather's suicide. When I was 19 years old, my grandfather committed suicide as he was battling lung cancer. And my grandfather was one of those heroes in my life. You know, I looked to him for my identity. I mean, he was like my everything. He was my rock, you know. And when I saw somebody I loved that deeply and dearly commit suicide, it completely wrecked me. But in the process, I learned that he wasn't my rock, that God was, right? You know, that, that, Mm. that every man or woman will at some point in time fail you, but God never will. And so as I wrote about that in my book and learned what my grandfather taught me, that I didn't need to be burdened by that concept of him committing suicide, that that's not who he was. It was just what he did, you know, and not to to hold that against him. And so I started to learn Mm -hmm. from his legacy. Well, today, as I'm speaking, okay, I get done, and a man comes up to me, an older man, and he looked at me, and he said, are you Mendel's grandson? And my grandfather's name was Mendel. And as he said it, man, like the whole, my whole body, like the hair on the back of my neck, it just stood up. And it just like, I was overwhelmed with the spirit. This man worked with my grandfather for like 30 years. And, yeah. and he, we sat there and we talked about my grandfather, the type of man my grandfather was, the legacy that he left his his work ethic and all this stuff. And you know what I mean? It was one of those moments mm. where three years ago, one of the things I was burdened by was my grandfather's suicide. And as I wrote through that and and learned who I was, you know, in spite of my past and in spite of the difficult things and all these, you know, challenges that I had faced this man today, you know, was, it was almost like my grandfather affirming the man that I'm becoming. Um, Very, very, very interesting experience that I had today. But, but I share that because I want people to know that, that this idea is real. Like, I'm not saying that. I mean, it's accessible and it's, and it's available and it's real, but that doesn't mean it's easy. You know, I've been on a journey of two and a half years of, of pressing into and kind of stripping away the, the stuff that's built up on the outside of my heart and, and in my spirit and kind of taking that and putting a sledgehammer to it, right? Like chopping off this, mm. this outer facade. And that's painful. It's hard. But when you get down, you find this beautiful, precious little gem. And that's like who you were created to be. That's what God is. Says that he were created in his image and that his very spirit dwells in us. When you get down to that place and you see that beautiful stone, that gem, and then you hear God confirm it, right? With words mm-hmm. like that from, you know, somebody that you don't know, uh, speaking into your life. It, it's just, it's a way that kind of, it, I said it this way when I wrote about it briefly, I said that it, it kind of echoes Eternity, you know what I mean it has that mm-hmm. echo of eternity and and that 's where you know it goes back into everything we 've been talking about today James, with story and, and and how it all ties us into this bigger picture that we 're a part of and yeah. and so anyway that that's that 's what I would leave folks with
0: wow that 's awesome that 's really really awesome, wow, by the way, um, thank you, Matt. Thanks so much for uh, sharing your story and uh, sharing some yeah. wisdom and stuff today it 's been really good talking to you. Uh, it's always good talking to you. But uh, yeah,
1: it's a pleasure, man. Thank you for for having um, me, and I appreciate the opportunity to share with those that were a part of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. We'll have you we'll have you back sometime as well to talk about the next book whenever it ever comes. Yeah, out. So, absolutely, uh, man. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's that's all. That's it for this week, everybody. I hope you've um, enjoyed this as much as we have, I think, and um, that you've learned a lot. And we'll talk soon.